I hate waiting. Don't you? Don't you hate waiting? I, I think you do. Um, I think we all hate waiting. Jeremy, don't you hate waiting? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody hates waiting, and uh, that comes out uh, all the time, but especially around Christmas time, young or old alike, we, we all hate that waiting uh, dynamic that's, that's involved in life, and, and especially at Christmas time. Um, and I know we all hate waiting because I did a little bit of a, a survey, did some research uh, on, on the big wide world of Facebook. And uh, I just uh, asked people to share some things that, uh, that they hate waiting for or that they hate about waiting. And uh, people gave me a lot of good things to, to look at and read and think about. And um, the most common things that people said uh, that they hated waiting for or waiting about uh, from my little survey there uh, was, uh, was this. Waiting in traffic. I think we all can agree with that. Uh, nobody likes waiting in traffic. I mean, you, you never hear anybody say, oh, good, we get some traffic. Yay. Uh, wish we had more traffic. Never happens. Never happens. Waiting in traffic. Lines in a store, kind of like traffic. Um, you know, nobody just loves standing in line. Um, I was at Coles uh, just this week, and this is, you know, well past Black Friday, and uh, it was like Black Friday. The line was wrapped all the way around to the middle of the store. You know, they had everything roped off. It was, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, lines at a store, nobody likes that. Um, waiting on your order at a restaurant. And uh, sometimes that becomes so frustrating that you end up just leaving, right? And saying, you know what, never mind, uh, this, is, this is ridiculous. And I know some people that uh, will never come back to certain restaurants because of the wait that they had there. So, uh, yeah, receiving, waiting for uh, your order at a restaurant, that's tough. Uh, waiting for an order in the mail, that, that got a lot of comments. You know, waiting to receive packages. And that's still with Amazon. I mean, two-day shipping. Um, People just don't like to, to wait for that, uh, and you get antsy. When's it coming? When's it coming? Especially if it's something you really want. Uh, ironically, we don't um, really get a lot of uh, anxiety about waiting for bills. You know, that kind of mail we're fine to, to wait on and wish we didn't even receive them. But uh, anything that's, uh, that you've ordered, you've paid money on, you, you want to get that as soon as you can. Um, the waiting room at a doctor's office. Yes, that is, wow, that's rough, that's rough. Uh, and I, I love, too, how uh, the doctor's office will always tell you, please arrive 20 minutes early. And you're, you're thinking, why? Because it doesn't matter when I arrive, I'm going to wait for two hours, you know, before I see the doctor. So uh, that can be a, a very frustrating waiting experience for sure. And then um, the DMV, yes. Um, I like to refer to that as purgatory. And uh, if, you, if you really want to know um, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, go to the DMV and you'll know. It's a good, it's a good thermometer of that. Um, yes, the DMV. And then uh, I had to throw this in there, um, last but not least, me waiting on Ohio State to score their touchdowns last night in the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Um, but they pulled it out. Woo! Um, those are, are definitely not significant or serious things. There's, there's also um, more, more serious things uh, that people find difficult about waiting. 
And uh, I certainly can identify with many on this list. I think you will too. Um, people said uh, they find, a, find it very challenging to wait for answers to prayer about um, serious or significant needs. That's, that's hard. That's hard. I mean, I, I, know, uh, I know some of you have, have prayed for a very long time um, that God would restore and repair your marriage. And if, if that's not you, you certainly know people that that's true of. You know, you, you know what it's like to either personally or have people close to you um, fighting for their marriage and seeing their marriage falling apart and just begging God for him to, to intervene, you know, and to restore. Um, that's, that's a brutal time of waiting. Um, probably some of you have, uh, I know some of you have, um, prayed for God to either spare your job or when you've lost a job, please, God, give me a new job. I, I have a family. I, I'm, I need to provide. You know what we need. You know our, our bills are stacked up to this, and you know all of our obligations. God, please give us a job. I need a job, Lord. And, and then when it doesn't come and it doesn't come, I mean, that's an agonizing process. Um, not fun at all. Very difficult. Um, some of you, even right now, are dealing with um, intense physical uh, trouble and affliction, and you've been asking God for healing. And maybe you've been asking for that for a very, very long time. Uh, or you have family members or those close to you who have very serious physical conditions, and so you've been praying on their behalf, and you've been joining with them in prayer, and so far nothing has changed. Um, that is a very hard aspect of praying and of waiting very challenging, and I, I personally can relate to that. I've been there. I know what that's like. Um, others shared, uh, kind of similar to that, waiting on medical test results. When you, you've gone into that doctor and you've seen them and, and they've done the test and then you're waiting on the results and anxiety comes in and it just just rolls all over you. It's, it's very difficult to wait for that kind of a thing. Um, others shared that... Uh, uh, waiting on the next chapter in life or, or the next door to open in life, waiting for God to reveal how He is leading and what His specific will is. Man, that's, that's hard. I, mean, I think at, at some point we've all been there, uh, and you will be if you haven't. Um, yeah, that's, man, that's tough. Okay, God, I, I want to do the right thing. You know what's best. You know what is the right thing. And, and you know what the next perfect step is for me, but I don't. Will you please reveal that to me? And then waiting on that result or waiting on that to be revealed can be very, very hard. Um, another person said, um, waiting to adopt the foster kids that have become every bit my own children. That's a, that's a heart-wrenching process. Some of you have been there. You've walked through there, um, and uh, you know the agony that comes from that. Very difficult. Waiting. And as hard and unpleasant as it often is, uh, it's simply part of life, isn't it? It's part of being human. It's part of humanity. To, to, uh, to wait is to be human. And waiting is actually at the very heart of the Christmas story. Beyond the Christmas season and waiting for presents, it's at the very heart of the Christmas story itself. And that extends beyond Mary waiting for Jesus to be born. We know she was waiting for that and Joseph with her, but it goes beyond that. 
And what we see at the very heart of the Christmas narrative is a waiting on the part of all who believed God's promises and trusted in his faithfulness and were eagerly awaiting and looking forward for the promised Messiah, for Jesus' arrival. There had been waiting for centuries and for 400 years from the end of what we know as the Old Testament to the time where uh, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah announcing the birth of John the Baptist, which also was tied to the birth of Jesus, there had been 400 years of waiting where there were, there were no more prophetic announcements or revelations or messages. There were no more books written. Nothing that said from God, I'm here and I'm working and I have a plan and, and it's, it's about to happen. There was just silence from heaven with God's people. 400 years of silence and of waiting and of, of wondering. But for all who still believed in God's promises and in his character and trusted in his faithfulness, there was also waiting for that silence to be broken. And there was belief that it would be. And what I want us to do today is to zero in on on two people that waited very well. And they have a lot to show us and a lot to teach us about waiting well. We're all going to be waiting all through life. It's part of our life. The, the, the key is to not waste our waiting. The key is to remember that God is with us in our waiting. And he really is. These two people show us that. So in Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 2 and beginning at verse 25. Luke 2 25. And this, this passage, the whole passage, and these two people, they really do uh, show us and remind us and really prove that in Jesus, God was announcing and declaring, I haven't given up, I haven't let go, I haven't stopped working, I'm with you in your waiting, I always have been. Luke 2.25 is where we'll start. And God's Word says this, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. It's a great word, consolation. Think about when you have um, a child and, and they're, they're upset, they're scared. What do you do as a parent? You console them, right? You comfort them. You tell them it's going to be okay. I, let me encourage you. We do that through other people. Uh, it's not just children. Whenever you know, you're having a hard time, you want someone to come alongside and console and comfort and remind you things are okay, things will be okay. Comforting, encouraging. He was looking forward to Israel's comfort and and encouragement and consolation, which he believed was directly attached to the promised Messiah, that he would be the one that would finally and fully bring true comfort, true hope, true encouragement to the, the nation of Israel. And here's what else it says about him. Very important fact. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, he had been born, and so now they were coming to the temple uh, to obey what the law prescribed whenever there was a, a birth. Verse 28, Simeon sees this. He, he comes in at the temple. He's being led by the Spirit, who he already had been walking with. Obviously, that's key. The Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was already directing and ruling his life. It's very important to note that. And right as Mary and Joseph are bringing in the new baby Jesus into the temple to do what they needed to do, right at that moment, the Spirit leads Simeon in. What a coincidence, right? Right. (laughs) No, no, divine appointment. And so Simeon sees Jesus. He hasn't, hadn't met him before. He didn't know Mary or Joseph. But the Holy Spirit, who always had been leading him, who already led his life, now led him right to the object of his faith, the object of his hope, the object of his trusting, the object that he had believed in the promise about, Jesus. Leads him right up to him. And he doesn't have to investigate or, or, you know, try to discern whether or not this is the promised one, the Messiah. Again, through the Holy Spirit, he just knows. And so he goes and he, he picks up. Look at what verse 28 says. Simeon took him up in his arms, took Jesus up in his arms, and he praised God and said in verse 29, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised. Now, this doesn't mean he drops dead right there. He doesn't. We don't know how much longer he lived after this encounter. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we know that he's ready now. He's ready to go. He says, you know what? I don't need anything else in life. I'm good. You promised I wouldn't see death. I wouldn't depart this life until I saw your deliverance, until I saw your promised one. I know that that's been him. I've seen him now. I'm good to go. You can take me anytime, Lord. Good to go. Verse 34, my eyes have seen your salvation. Have your eyes, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind, have they seen the salvation of the Lord? Have your eyes seen God's salvation? It's a question you need to ask yourself. And if the answer is yes, then rejoice like Simeon, because it was the Holy Spirit that led you to him, just like he did Simeon. If your eyes have seen the Lord's salvation in Jesus Christ, that was not from your own doing, that was not from your own making, that was the Spirit of God leading you to him, just like he did with this man. Verse 31, speaking of this great salvation, you have prepared it, this salvation, your salvation, your grace, You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Praise God for that, because that's you and me. We wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't be able to know that salvation. We wouldn't be able to celebrate Jesus as our Messiah if it weren't for that fact that the light of the revelation of God's glory and grace and salvation wasn't extended to the Gentiles. Praise God for that. And glory to your people Israel. Wow, what an encounter this was. What an encounter. What a man. And this is all we see in Scripture about this guy. Just these few verses. 
But wow, what, what a few verses they are. Simeon is obviously someone eagerly looking forward to the time when Israel received comfort and relief from all their oppression, from all uh, the darkness that they were in. He, he wasn't, I am convinced, he was not just hoping for relief from Rome like so many people were. There were a lot of people looking forward to Messiah. And if you stopped them on the street and you said, hey, are you hoping Messiah comes? Are you looking forward to Messiah's arrival? They would say, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. But if you dug deeper, the reason for many, many people, they hoped and believed and attached being out from under Rome's iron fist to the coming of Messiah. That was what they connected. Messiah coming means relief and and rescue from Rome. And that was as far as it went. I believe Simeon, though, as one who was led by the Spirit, who walked with the Spirit, who uh, would have been a person to really have a personal relationship with God, loved His Word, I believe Simeon was looking far beyond that, and he understood that Messiah coming provided deliverance from a much darker oppression, and that was the oppression of sin. And that's what Simeon was looking forward to. And I would just remind all of us as we're here in the Christmas season and we're celebrating Christmas and we even, um, you know, say the, the classic Christmas cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season and he is. But I would encourage all of us, myself included, make sure to go deeper and understand that what makes Christmas so spectacular, what makes the nativity so miraculous is that it was the freedom from the oppression of sin that we all need and that none of us could free uh, ourselves from, no matter what we tried. So he's looking forward to this, this great comfort and relief and deliverance from the promised divine Messiah. Even though it hadn't happened yet, after what was likely many years of personal praying and waiting, we don't know how old he was. Uh, there's obviously some assumption that he was kind of along in years because of that promise. You're not going to see death till you see the Messiah. But that doesn't mean he had to be, you know, a, a, an ancient man. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But what is, is true, inferred, is that this is a man who had been looking and waiting and praying and, and expecting for the arrival of Messiah probably for many, many years. And even though that hadn't happened yet, it obviously didn't stop him from continuing to look forward with expectation and with belief, believing God's personal promise to him that he would actually see the promised one before he left this life. And I can imagine uh, people around Simeon probably discouraging him from continuing to wait. You know, I mean, there's always critics. There's always people that are cynical. And I can just imagine people saying, Simeon, are you still holding on to this same big, huge promise that, that you've said that God told you? I mean, you know, I know you believe God told you that you weren't going to see death until you saw the Messiah, but come on, Simeon, it's been however many years. You still holding on to that old man? You still holding on to that? Come on, wake up. He hasn't come. Rome's just gotten stronger. He, he's not coming. I mean, I can imagine the voices of discouragement. But it didn't stop Simeon, at least not completely. I mean, he was still human. I'm not saying he didn't have difficult days where he wondered. I'm not saying there's not days where he questioned himself and his own belief. Maybe I did hear this wrong. Maybe I did imagine it in my own mind. You know what that's like. 
when you're waiting on God and, and you're trying to be faithful and you're trying to stay committed in prayer, you know there are times in your waiting where you're tempted to question if it's worth it, right? Is it worth it? Man, maybe I am just delusion, delusional here. Maybe I am self-deceived. And discouragement comes in at the waiting. Discouragement comes in and it tempts you to just give up, to stop believing, to stop hoping, to stop praying. Maybe that happened, but we know that he didn't stay there if it did. And he kept on going, he kept on believing. He kept on looking for the work of God. He kept on believing and trusting that God was very much working in this time of waiting, that his plan was still uh, going to, to come and to be brought about. And the reason that Simeon or anybody else is able to be that way and to do that and to have that attitude and to persevere even in the hard period of waiting for God to respond and waiting for God to act and waiting for God to quote, show up, you know, as you are hoping he will. The thing that makes all that possible and the thing that was true of Simeon is this. You have to be walking with the Spirit of God to be able to recognize the work of God. If you want to be able to recognize God at work, you want to be able to see what he's doing, you want to be able to recognize the work of God when, when that's revealed. You've got to already be walking with the Spirit of God. It's the only way to recognize the work of God is having that personal relationship and walking with Him. Because as you are in step with the Spirit, as you're in step with Him, as you're following His lead, not asking Him to follow yours, if you're following His lead, He helps you see things differently. He alters your perspective, and He empowers your faith. And I am sure that you've had that experience as well. If you've truly gone through those times in your life where there's been significant things that have weighed on you, and you've just decided, I'm going to remain resolute, I'm going to trust in God, I'm going to continue to have faith, I know He's good, He's never let me down before, there's no reason at all to think He's going to let me down now, I have a whole history of my life to prove His faithfulness, I have a whole book full of, of books in this book, in the Bible, that have personal histories of thousands of years of people showing and testifying to God's faithfulness. I can read and see the way He's shown up in their life. I know He's shown up in my life. I'm going to keep on keeping on. And as you do that, you will have experienced that the Holy Spirit helps you see things differently. Even as you're waiting, as hard as it is, he helps you start to see the ways he's using that waiting in your life to grow you, to strengthen you, to deepen your faith, to deepen your dependence on him. And you'll find this supernatural power to keep on having faith. To guarantee it happens. If you and I will choose to remain faithful and to believe in God's faithfulness, even while we're waiting, we will see the Holy Spirit minister to us and apply His grace. It's a beautiful thing. That's what obviously was true of Simeon in his life. And that is all so key for us. It's all so key. And often it's exactly what's missing from our faith and our prayer, if we're honest. 
We'll take a step back and we'll evaluate our own prayer life. We'll evaluate uh, our own faith. We'll find that, that that's what's missing. Expectation for God to work. Not just praying, God, please work, but actually expecting Him to do it. Now, that would be according to His perfect plan and His perfect timing. We have to make sure that that uh, remains true and that we're anchored to that. That when we say, God, God, please work, and, and I'm expecting you to work, it's, it's not according to what we um, see as being best, but as, uh, according to what he knows to be best. And, and it's not according to our timeline, but according to his perfect timing. But to, to expect for him to work. So many times we, we pray, God, please work in this situation, work in my life, work in that scenario. Please do this, God. Please move. And then when he does... We act shocked and surprised, like, wow, he actually did it. Which says something about the level of faith in our prayer, or the level of faith in our life. This is just so key. Pray with faith, pray expecting for God to work as as he sees fit, but expect him to work. And being in step with the Spirit of God the whole time what we see on display in Simeon's life. He prayed with faith, he expected God to work, and he was in step with the Spirit all through his waiting for that work to be revealed, for God's plan to be revealed. Incredible, incredible man, incredible lessons he gives us um, as as we see him waiting uh, before Jesus came and and obviously you see that he's ready to receive uh, all that he prayed for. He's, I mean, he doesn't have to be, he'd be told too much about it. He goes right to him. It's just incredible. And it, we could learn a lot, for sure, from Simeon. But wait, there's more. Verse 36. Verse 36. There was... Also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And remember, in this culture, they got married very, very young. Um, Girls got married extremely young, I mean 13, 14, 15, and uh, often were married to much older men. Um, Mary was probably in that range, 13 to 16, She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, so she'd been married seven years, and was a widow for 84 years. So think about it. This young, young girl gets married, goes through the betrothal process, gets married, is married for probably seven years. Something happens, the husband dies, and she lives the rest of her life up to the point of this account 84 years as a widow. So she is advanced in years for sure. She's well along in years and had spent a couple lifetimes as a widow. But look, look at what it says. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. 
Now, maybe this is because there was actually a room given to her at the temple, and she was uh, recognized as uh, having an actual office, an office of prophetess. Uh, that, was, that was seen in other uh, areas of, of biblical history that happened. So maybe she had an official role. Uh, or it could just be that the high priest and, and the council there at the temple uh, gave her a place to stay, a room out of compassion. Or maybe she didn't have a room at all, and she just didn't depart. She just camped out there at the temple and viewed her personal ministry as, as this, as just continually fasting and praying. What do you think she fasted and prayed for? What do you think she fasted and prayed about? I think it was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, thou day spring. Come, free thy people, Israel. I think she fasted for revival and prayed for revival for her fellow Israelites. Oh God, turn the hearts of your people to you. Turn us back to you, Lord. Make us ready to receive your promised Messiah when he comes so that we will all be ready. We'll all recognize him. I think that's what consumed her heart and her mind. The reason I think that that's probably true is because of what happens next. Verse 38, at that very moment, what is the very moment? It's at the very moment of Simeon having come up to this family and seeing baby Jesus and lifting him up and praising God and saying, finally, he's come. Messiah has come. The the object of our waiting is here. We don't have to wait anymore. He's arrived. He's here. The object of my waiting has come. I can now depart in peace. I don't need anything else. At that moment, she comes at that very moment and sees the promised Messiah. This is, this is all happening at the same time. Some of your translations might say at that very hour, but it's literally at that very moment. Right when Simeon stopped speaking, and there was more that I didn't read in the account of Simeon talking with Mary and Joseph and seeing baby Jesus. He, he actually gave a prophecy to Mary about the, the coming life and ministry of Jesus, and he said, a, a sword is going to pierce your own heart, talking about the, the suffering of Jesus and going to the cross and what that's going to do to that mother's heart. And he, he talks about some more things, and then it's as soon as he is done talking, She's coming up, and maybe she's even waiting for him to finish. I don't know. But it's, it's simultaneous. Simeon comes up and recognizes Jesus as the promised Messiah. Our waiting is over. Then here comes this, this faithful woman, Anna, long widowed. And she comes up and sees Jesus. And then look what she does. Verse 38, and she began to thank God. Thank you, God, for your, your promise. Thank you, God, for revealing the promised one. Thank you, God, for ending our waiting. Thank you for Messiah. He's come. I no longer have to say, please come, Emmanuel. He's here. She began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So I, I see this lady full of passion despite her years, despite her hardship, despite her pain and her loss, and she's just full of joy. And she says, hey, come here, come here. He's here, he's come. Who's come? The Messiah, he's here. Our, our promise has been fulfilled. There's no more waiting. Come, come, let me, let me show him to you. He's right here. 
What a remarkable woman. What a remarkable woman. I mean, think about her, her situation. As a widow, she knew pain and loss. She'd only been married seven years. I mean, it takes about seven years, at least seven years, just to start to learn how it is to really be married and what it really means to be, to be a good husband or a wife. It, it takes at least that just to be able to start to, you know, love each other well and kind of figure, start to figure this marriage thing out. Notice I said start to figure this marriage thing out. It's a lifelong learning process. But man, seven years, you're just starting to really get into a rhythm together at that point, especially in this culture where there was arranged marriages all the time. You would have just started probably to to really develop that love and that relationship. And then, then her husband is taken. So she knew pain. She knew loss, just as many of you know, and have experienced that kind of searing, agonizing pain and loss where it cuts through your very soul. But she had not become bitter because of that. She had not become bitter. We would all have understood, we, we all would understand if that were true of her, if she was just resentful and bitter uh, at all she had gone through, but that's not what was true. As an elderly woman, she had not lost hope or faith. She refused to let that go. Anna understood clearly what patience really meant, what faith really meant, what perseverance was all about. She had waited for Christ to come, the promised Messiah, despite the many years that had passed. And similar to Simeon, I can see people coming around her as she doesn't depart the temple day or night. Maybe she still had family in the area, and maybe they came to her and said, Oh, Anna, why don't you just, why don't you just come home with us? I know you believe your ministry is important. I know you believe God has called you to intercede for our nation, to pray and fast, and you, you, you feel that that's your role, but come on, you're, you're neglecting your family. Come on, come and, and live in a, in a better situation than what you're in. God clearly has not heard your prayer. God clearly has not heard your fasting. I think it's okay to let go. Maybe that happened. I don't know. I certainly could see it happening. And if it did, her answer was no. No, I know where I'm supposed to be. I know my purpose. I know my role. And I know my God. And I know he is faithful and he is good. And though I may not see it right before my eyes, I know he is working, he is planning, and I know he will bring about his purpose in his perfect time, and I am yielded to that and to him. That would have been her answer. She didn't stop trusting. She didn't stop believing God. She didn't stop loving Him. She didn't stop worshiping Him. She didn't stop serving Him. She didn't stop proclaiming His promises and her hope in Him to others. And I wonder, how many, how many people's faith was strengthened by her commitment and her testimony? I wonder how many people came to faith and trust in God because of her unwavering faith and trust. Man, both of these amazing saints definitely believed what the Apostle Paul later said uh, and believed about Jesus when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. 
It's what Paul said about him. It's what Simeon and Anna obviously believed about him. Is that what you believe about Jesus? I hope so. It's what we need to believe about Jesus. That's what we have to believe and keep recalling to our minds. That needs to be the anchor of hope for us like it was Simeon and Anna. All of that to say this to you, my fellow believer, my fellow brother and sister in Christ. Listen, God is at work in your waiting. God is at work in your waiting. He hasn't stopped working. I know waiting can be brutal. It can be agonizing. It can be the most difficult thing you do in life, especially when it is for so significant of things like I talked about at the beginning, like a marriage that is in shambles and you're begging God to intervene, like a horrible diagnosis that you're begging him to heal and remove, like an absence of a job that your whole family needs, like the next door to open in your path in your life that you beg him to reveal. I know it can be hard. I know it can be discouraging, but God is at work in your waiting. I promise. And he promises that. And, and some of you I know even recently have, have been reminded of that fact. You've, you've been able to see that absolutely be true, that God is at work in your waiting and that he has been the whole time. There was someone that made a statement on Facebook about all that she has been able to learn through her waiting and through that of the waiting period that her and her family have been in. And it's been rough, and it's been a hard um, couple years. But she says, I have recognized and I am anchored to the fact that God has been teaching me and showing me all kinds of things about himself and all kinds of things about me through this waiting. And I'm learning so much, and I praise him for it. I, I think of Yvonne, Yvonne Talent. And her dad, giving his life to Christ in literally the last hours of his life, after decades of refusing to do that, after decades of of prayer from not just Yvonne, but from, from you and from others in other churches and people in other states and probably literally around the world, decades of faithful praying that God would finally work in his heart and tear down the wall and bring him to salvation. And year after year after year, it was no, no, no. And then finally, right before he leaves this life, he says on his own, Jesus, save me. And Yvonne was able to be the one at her daddy's side, holding his hand, leading him in that statement. Don't tell me God is not at work in your waiting. I think of, of Amanda Bowers, who, with her mom, after years of being prayed for far above and beyond the physical need, as great as that was, years of praying that she would absolutely make sure of where she was with Jesus and absolutely commit her life to him. And there was just a lot of uncertainty with that, right? A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown. A lot of questioning about that. And then in her last minutes on earth, she undeniably affirmed that she knew Jesus personally, she was ready to see him, and she used the last 
little bit of her breath and her words and the strength that was left in her body to make sure all of her family that was gathered around her knew Jesus too and was ready to see him. Don't tell me God is not at work in our waiting. So what that means for us is we all need to follow Simeon and Anna's example because they didn't waste their waiting. They believed God was at work in their waiting and they didn't waste the waiting that he had called them to be in and to go through. They chose to trust. They chose to worship. They chose to to serve God while they were waiting for him to work. We need to choose the same thing, believers. We need to choose to trust to worship, to serve God while we're waiting, as hard as it is, believing he has our best at heart at all times, believing he is very much at work, all while we're waiting for him to respond in the specific ways that we've been asking for him to. And I promise what we'll see is what Simeon and Anna saw, what they experienced, what Amanda experienced, what Yvonne experienced. We'll see the ways in which he's already been at work in and around our life. Because he's always working. He's always working. And in all of this, it's, it's very important to understand and remember that God isn't obligated to work on our timetable. It's very important to understand and remember that. As we're praying for God to respond, as we're praying for God to act, as we're praying for God to work... We've got to remember that he is not obligated to work on our timetable. And he tells us this in his word, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. I love these verses. I love the reminder that they give to me. God says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, it's pretty high, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What that means for us, we can draw great encouragement from that actually, because what that means is God's timing is always the right time. It's always the best time. It's the only truly perfect timing. So what should we do with that? What should we do in response to all that? We should do what Psalm 27, 14 instructs us and challenges us to do. And that is this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart, let your heart, choose to to let your heart, make your heart, take courage Wait for the Lord. Let's do that together. Let's keep waiting for the Lord, knowing He is good, He is faithful, He's never let us down, and He never will. Let's encourage one another as we wait. Let's bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's bear one another up in our waiting and wait together, knowing our good and faithful God is very much at work in our waiting, and He has our good our true good, always in mind and always in hand. Let's pray. Father, I admit to you, and I know my brothers and sisters here do as well, that waiting is hard. Waiting is not fun. Waiting is difficult. And yet, 
so much of our life is filled with waiting. Some of it is minor, some of it is fairly insignificant, but a lot of our waiting involves significant major things. It's especially those things that are hardest. It's especially those things that are the most trying to wait for and to wait on. So, Father, I ask for your grace. I ask for your strength. I ask for your power to help us to be faithful in our waiting, to realize that you are with us in our waiting. Jesus shows us that. The giving of your Son, the coming of Jesus... His birth, His arrival, His incarnation proves to us that You are always with us in our waiting. Simeon and Anna saw that. They believed that. And they saw that full and real before their very eyes. Thank You that You are with us in our waiting. Thank You that You are always working in our waiting. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you will use our waiting to deepen our walk and our relationship with you. You'll help us to learn more about you. And thank you that in your perfect time, we will see you at work. We will see you on display. We will see you bringing about your perfect will in our lives. And we'll be able to look back and say, yes, you were faithful. And thank you that we see all that, most of all, in your Son, the Lord Jesus. The proof of you being with us in our waiting, the proof of waiting not being in vain, and the promises, all the promises you've given, all through your Word, all through our lives, as having their yes and amen in Him. Keep us faithful, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.